0: The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Mark Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question?
1: Do numbers go that high?
0: I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte.
1: And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner.
0: And you're now listening to Marked Medicine.
1: Welcome back to Marked Medicine. This is Dr. Mark Brulte. We're here again with my wife, Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. and a very special guest today, Miss Courtney Sheffield. Hey, guys. (laughs) We're so glad to have her here. Um, Courtney is. a very interesting person. This is uh, this topic is going to be an amazing intersection between the non-medical and the medical. It's When Amanda first started talking about this, I kind of looked at her and said, do what? I just didn't really understand. It was right. it was you, right. You're always right. This is, <laughs> I mean, I'm only allowed to think or talk about medical things, nothing else. And so it is what it is, but it works. But anyhow, Courtney, we're so glad to have you here today. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thank you guys for having me.
1: This is great. Um, Courtney has been a nurse for well over a decade. She's got a vast array of experience in various fields of nursing, which we'll talk about in a minute, and it has segued her life into makeup. I don't know what else to call it. And I'm sitting there, Amanda's talking to me, and I'm going, makeup? wait a minute, why am I talking about makeup? My <laughs> you know? mom
2: asked the same thing. You went to RN school and you're doing makeup? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but it's very important, and we're going to get to why that's important. But I want you to tell the audience about your your education, your background, the fields of nursing you've done, and we'll take it from there.
2: Okay. So I graduate, graduated from nursing school in May of 2010 and I quickly passed my boards and became a registered nurse. My first job was in the local ER in emergency medicine, and I just felt like I needed to take a position that would teach me everything about everything. And my whole goal throughout my entire nursing career is to be um, as diverse as I could with my experiences and my knowledge so that I could provide the best possible care to all of my patients. So I started there, um, but I'd always been very passionate about labor and delivery, um, perinatal prenatal care for women. And so a position came up in our local labor and delivery. I then transferred there and worked there for several years. I also did a short stint in outpatient pediatric medicine at a local practice. And then our family relocated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the meantime, I had started school again, and I was pursuing a program through Georgia Southern University that was an RN to MSN, kind of fast track.
0: The same program I did, actually.
2: To be a nurse practitioner, that was my goal the whole time. Um, And... Between the move, and then we had a very unexpected tragedy um, with a family member that we lost. I just was not able to continue that at all. And I found myself in Orlando, Florida, trying to find an RN job. I had just had to stop my nursing program, and I thought, what am I doing? And I was able to pick up a job pretty quickly in a newborn nursery um, that was just a PRM position so I could find something full-time. And then I found one of my absolute favorite jobs ever. I did um, GYN oncology with UF Health Cancer Center under the Chief of G1 Oncology, Veronica Shemp, and I loved doing the surgical oncology as well as the chemo side of everything. Did that for a few years and unexpectedly we had to relocate back to our hometown here in Douglas, Georgia with you guys and when I did that there was no oncology here at the time. So I began working in our OR. I was a circulator who cross-trained in every area Um, of surgery. (laughs) Again, trying to be diverse, you know, Um, and then they got our first ever oncologist because until then people had to either not get care if they had a cancer diagnosis or they had to have the means to travel. And I was so excited that we were able to start a program here that I got to be part of that um, and help create that program and very hands-on with that, and was the first nurse navigator here. And I know that when I have talked in the past with you, you've said, what is a nurse navigator?
1: That's what, <laughs> and that's so important to me with these podcasts, because I'm kind of like a professional student, let's be realistic, yeah. 16 years Life after high school. Learner. I would go to school today if I could. Me you know, too. These, these little thing called bills, <laughs> though, you know, they keep coming in. And, right. uh, anyhow, but uh, you started telling me all of this fascinating history, and you, uh, you said nurse navigator, and I'm like, what is that like? Are you on a boat? You know what's going on. Right. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. I I didn't a even, and I'm scared. But you know, yeah. I mean, I'm just a doctor. I just walk in the room and there's a sick person, and I start trying to make them better. So you know, I don't really understand a lot of stuff outside of that. So tell right. us, tell and us what that is. It's a newer
2: concept. I had not heard of it either until I was in Orlando at this big hospital system, and a nurse navigator is typically used in some type of complex medical situation, whether it's an organ transplant. Um, whether it's oncology, a complicated cardiac situation, a lot of bigger hospitals and even some smaller ones now are using nurses because we have a lot of great things happening in healthcare. However, it can at times be very fragmented. There's not often um, enough communication between different offices or practices that aren't part of the same system. And that's where it's really easy for patients to get behind in treatment, slip through the cracks. And of course, it's never intentional. But unless you have a medical background or a family member, you kind of feel lost and overwhelmed navigating all the appointments. And for me with oncology, it's, you know, you have somebody that has their oncologist, their overall care. They may also have somebody doing radiation. They may have somebody separate doing their chemo. They may have a surgeon. They have a whole different surgeon doing a port placement. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And by using nurse navigators, we just try to make sure, I I say it's like having a best friend that's a nurse. They stay on top of the case to make sure that whatever the next step was supposed to be actually happens. They're there to answer questions for the patient and just continue to educate them. A lot of education on the journey.
1: That's that's cool to me because kind of what started all of this, and it's uh, is really my philosophy. There's two questions that basically enter my mind every time I have a patient encounter. Number one is why? Why is this happening? You know, try to make a proper diagnosis so you can set about. A proper pathway if that's possible. And and more importantly, number two, what would I do if they were in my own family? So I spend a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time compared to the some of the other providers I see around me. I'm making sure the patients know who I'm trying to set them up for follow-up with. I'm giving them, I've got pre-printed cards for my cell phone number. I'm handing it out. I'm saying, just call me. If you can't get in to see Dr. XYZ, you know call me. I can solve with a 20-second phone call what will drive you crazy for two weeks. But that's
0: awesome because not every doctor gives their cell phone number out like that. When you got here (laughs) and you were explaining to me what a nurse navigator was, and I was like, that's kind of what Mark does for patients, <laughs> and he also, you know, so basically, you're taking care of them as if they're in your own family, and that's exactly what Mark encompasses. He really does, and I've, I've learned to take care of patients in the same way.
1: But not to the detail that she's talking about. What she's doing is coordinating an extremely complex. She's 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 like the general over the war. You know, uh, it's she's managing multiple battles at once. I'm just trying to get them plugged into the system, and hopefully, the system then takes over with what you're describing. And, and we do have case managers and things like that that sort of fill the But it lets role. every just,
2: piece do their spot the, well right. and then we connect the dots because if you spent all of your time keeping them plugged in, then you can't do the hands-on care position specifically needs. So even though you go the extra mile, which is great, you then can go to the next patient. And that's what we want is our physicians seeing patients and helping them. Right. So we just fill that gap to try to keep everything moving smoothly. And it is
1: daunting to patients to, yeah. to overcome this, the complexity of the, quote, system, end quote, which is not really a system. It's, it's really a bunch of individual parts, yeah. like you said. And it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. One of you, and, and we'll get back to all the individual things, but you did gynoc, which is a very unique field of medicine. It's yeah. surgical and chemotherapeutic combined in one place it and was for
2: us it was both most offices either do like a surgical aspect with with cancer care or they do the, the chemo side and um and i know a lot of these systems um are adapting this in different areas especially in the guy not where they want to make it one stop for the lady so they had the same doctor doing their surgery as their chemo and then they could just come to one center for everything to try to make something so difficult that they were going through a little bit more simple and so it was easier for the patient, but it does put a lot more on the care team.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I remember in med school and residency, guy and was the one field where the guy doing your operation is also managing your chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And that was just so, I, I, that was mind blowing to me. At whatever point I discovered that, I just frankly don't remember. <laughs> but I, I remember doing the medical oncology part, which is managed by a subspecialty internists that are specialized in hematology and oncology. And then there were surgical oncologists or general surgeons or whatever the case may be, or, or orthopedic surgeons, if they're dealing with sarcomas, you know, and, uh, but they were distinctly separate. One guy did the surgery, one guy did the chemo, one guy did the radiation, you know, and, and it's, it's a very unique field. Uh, there, was,
2: I fell in love with it very quickly. Um, it's one of those things you either love it or you don't, because it was kind of the joke where we worked that we were the clinic that did twice as much work for the same amount of pay as everybody else. But most people who work that field are so passionate. But it, it's about more than just the paycheck. It's it's really a privilege to be in situations like that and walk through it with patients.
1: And then you did, after the nurse navigator role, you did, pre, pre, wait, tell me again what you did, preventive education, something a, with the school system, <laughs> something else I've never heard of.
2: So at that point, um, I don't think I've mentioned this yet. So hold on to your horses when I say this. Um, I currently have six children, all girls, but at the time I had four. And it was just getting increasingly difficult to work the shifts as a nurse um, and to do some of the even the day shift positions and be at all of their things. So (laughs) I just really prayed through it and felt led for there to be a change. And I took a position with our local school system. It was to be the prevention educator. And that was through a department called Family Connection. But what they do is um, they really do a lot with like coordinating Red Ribbon Week doing education and I specifically really focused on middle school age because they're young enough you can still intercept them and help educate them Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they're Mm -hmm. old enough to be able to actually process information and I taught a course called Botvin Life Skills that I was um, certified in and then I just did a lot of awareness and the way I kind of really targeted what I did with the kids was instead of doing the traditional education that I got was just say no of course we want them to just say no but you know, in an ideal world, the kids aren't going to just say no, right? <laughs> Especially if they don't understand the why. So I would try really hard to explain the why behind it and take the approach of, you know, I can't make these decisions for you. Your mom, your grandma, your dad can't. You have to make choices on your own. However, does anyone in here want to be an alcoholic? Anybody in here want to be a crackhead? Well, let's find out how addiction happens and who's more at risk, so that hopefully that won't happen to you. And that was a an approach that they were very receptive to. Does that mean every kid I taught never touched drugs or alcohol? I'm sure not. But I could tell light bulbs went off. And they did at least have an open mind when I taught. And I loved that position so much. It felt a lot like um outreach or even ministry, in my opinion. And so I I loved that job. Um, and then I had my fifth and then sixth kid. <laughs> surprises from the Lord. And I just could no longer, you know, swing childcare with pretty much any position that you work is you're going to kind of come out negative right. or like just wash even. Absolutely. And, and so I had, um, recently fallen in love with a beauty and skincare line that I used. And I was just, you know, just sharing it with others, making a little bit of income. And my husband said, I think you could actually do this from home and help other women. You're so passionate about the products and the process of what you're doing. And it would allow you to be home, and we could save the childcare. And it gives you the flexibility, but you're still doing the number one thing that most providers want, and that's caring for people. Absolutely. And,
1: let, and let's look back at your background, okay? ER, labor and delivery, outpatient Peds, newborn nursery, gynoc, operating room, nurse navigator, the pre- prevention educator in the school system. There's yes, I mean, and I first met you in the ER. Oh, right. so many years ago <laughs> when that
0: was a green little newbie, and
1: and um. And, You're waiting
0: through the halls. <laughs> and so,
1: you know, but if you look at this this meandering path of incredible knowledge that you've amassed with all these different positions, how many of them are geared towards uh, maternal or pediatric medicine? Most of them. L and D, yes. outpatient Peds, newborn nursery, gynoc. Uh, the the nurse navigator for the Gynoc and other systems. I get that. And then now with, the, I mean, just recently with the school system, middle, middle-aged middle kids, I mean, kids, and you have six girls. <laughs> right. I, she's kind <laughs> of blown over that in <laughs> passing like it's no big deal. I mean, six what a girls. <laughs> you've got
0: all... a really good husband that helps a lot. You do have a good husband. He's <laughs> a cool guy. He and really you, is. You've done all these wonderful things all while being mama to six girls. I mean,
1: So there's, so, I mean, and why is all this important? I mean, it's important because it's not just makeup. I mean, you know, women, you know, kids, you know, moms, you know, what's involved with all that intimate, Mm -hmm. you know. I saw
2: pretty early on the fact that um, with patients, with any, any of the areas that their mental health, their current mental health as well as just their mindset and perspective, greatly impacted their outcome. How well they tolerated treatment, surgeries, childbirth, cancer, things like that, um, played a huge role in it. And I just saw so many beautiful, incredible humans, especially a lot of women with the, the areas I worked in that they didn't know how incredible they were. They didn't know their own beauty or strength um, or worth. I would, because we've become more aware of mental health in the last few years. So we do a lot right. of screenings, of course. And I just was, I was thinking, man, how does she not see her worth or her beauty? And I just, I would try to, if I had time, which there's not a lot in clinical <laughs> care, to love on people, encourage and build them up. And I just saw a need um, to just pour into people in a different way. And so that's kind of what I really leaned hard into. It's it's more than makeup, what I do. It's I really try to educate on some basic skincare things or conditions, as well as just helping women see that, regardless of what they've been through, what their age is, what it is they're self-conscious about. They can still be absolutely beautiful and love themselves right where they're at. And I help them embrace that in a way that they feel good about.
1: And now you have this obligation. It's what it is. You have six girls. You have to teach them that they are valuable.
2: Yes. And how to wear makeup, which is part of why. (laughs) I was a girl who didn't wear a lot of makeup. I would, you know, pay somebody to do my prom makeup my wedding makeup I just did it and as a nurse I think a lot of providers uh in general can understand it was like scrubs no makeup maybe some chapstick in your pocket hair Mm -hmm. in a messy bun and Mm -hmm. that was my everyday go-to look and in my 30s I thought I need to learn to wear makeup like an adult I was getting on some committees in Orlando with the big hospital system and I thought I want to look grown up a little you know like I know what I'm doing or cover the big zit on my face or whatnot And so I started learning about makeup and then it pretty quickly dawned on me that I also would have these girls that would need me to help teach them or gosh, Mm -hmm. I could save some money if I could do their own prom makeup, but maybe not their wedding, but, and I wanted to make sure that my girls knew that they were beautiful regardless of makeup. They did not need it to be beautiful. However, it's a, it's a fun thing to do and we can kind of minimize the distractions that we 're self conscious about which have more power over us than we realize mm-hmm. and let who we are shine through and I wanted to make sure that they knew that, and that mm-hmm. they had a mom who could also do that for herself mm-hmm. because as women, our girls, our younger sisters, our friends, our daughters, they look to us, and if we can't truly love ourselves and I don't mean be selfish and you know think we're just mm-hmm. fabulous, but love ourselves, mm-hmm. then how do we expect them to grow up and do the same
1: so it's more than masking a problem it's taking a problem away from that person's inner eye so that they can become what they're supposed to be. Right. I'm glad you explained all of that because I have rosacea. Okay. It's it's not bad, but it, it does kind of drive you crazy, you know, and you're worried about it and other people seeing, you know, a pimple here, there, yonder, and there's various forms of rosacea. And this is not a dermatology podcast this episode. Anyhow, we will get there one day, but um, without going into so many details, but I'm sure with your interactions with your makeup business, it's online. You have these uh, clients of yours contacting you and you set out plans for what you're going to do with their makeup and everything. You have people with various conditions, be it rosacea or acne or previous Trauma with scars or burns or whatnot, and and I'm certain that your history as a nurse is greatly helpful to these people. And your understanding of both worlds—the makeup world and the medical world—and tell us about some of the 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 people you've helped and some of the things you've seen and
0: the impact that that you've made on people's lives.
2: Well, I get a variety, so I have everything from girls that are getting their first makeup. You know, so just like just young girls. And of course, a lot of them either have perfect skin or they have acne. Mm -hmm. You usually see one of the two. And then I have, um, so this is just a few of the general things I've experienced. Women that have melasma from hormone changes from, you know, having babies. Um, Women that have just changes in their skin in general when they go through menopause. And as we age, Mm -hmm. skin just isn't, it gets more dull. It loses elasticity. Things sag. There are new little fun things like jowls that women get. And we're just trying to do different things that are going to help them not be so self-conscious about those issues they've experienced and focus on, like, their beautiful eyes Mm -hmm. or their lips. I've had women that have been in um, car wrecks with scarring, girls with a lot of um, cystic acne throughout adolescence and adulthood now have a lot of scar. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to do things that, of course, I can't take those issues away, but we can minimize some of those things and then play at the things that they do love. Um, One of my favorite things uh, that I can think of was, Yes, most of my business is online, but I do a couple of local in-person sessions. Mm -hmm. And I had a a lady that I knew that was in her 40s, a single mom, single, you know, mom raising some teenagers, and she needed some new makeup and just she just said, I really just need to pick me up, but will you come and just put it on me first and let's go through Mm -hmm. it in person? And I did, and it was one of the first magic moments I had when I since I started working with this company. As soon as I finished her face and she looked in the mirror. She started smiling and she, like, I'm talking about not just a little polite, like the girl was goofy grinning and could not Mm -hmm. quit. She felt so good. I could tell it before she said a word and she was like, oh my gosh. And she started screaming for her daughter. So-and-so, so-and-so come look at this. And Mm -hmm. she, y'all, and. Even when I left her house 20 minutes later, she could not stop smiling. And I thought, that is a hardworking single mom who clearly she may or may not have even realized how badly she needed that. Mm -hmm. She was just as beautiful once I finished her makeup as she was before I started. However, there's a big difference in looking beautiful and feeling beautiful. Every woman is beautiful. We're all different, Mm -hmm. but we're beautiful. Mm -hmm. But we don't always feel beautiful. And the difference that made in her made a huge difference in me. And
0: I said, I want to do this. So for the rest right. of my life, if well, I can, I love this. And and I was the teenager with horrible acne, and I know the psychological impact that that had on me. I mean, it was huge. I mean, it was it was terrible, honestly. And I'm just sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm like, where were you at when I was going through this? <laughs> I was probably going through it too, because about the same age.
1: But that's so cool because basically, you're my. As Amanda started talking to me about this episode, I was thinking this. And it was really your idea, how it ties into mental health and everything. And really, I mean, it's almost like therapy. But it was therapy for you, too. Listen to the story you just told. (laughs) Listen to how you felt. And I
2: can't quit smiling now talking about it, either. I
1: mean, you you had to feel like a lung surgeon feels when he knows he does a lobectomy and cuts out a curable cancer. And he has just saved that person's life. You've done effectively the same thing for this person. you really have. I mean. And so, I mean, I, I do for all of the healthcare providers out there, there is a lot of what you gain helping people right. is therapy for for you, too, on the right. inside. I mean, there's no better feeling. I mean, what do you, what do you look back on on your deathbed and say, you know, oh, I've got X number of dollars in the bank. I went to, you know, 4,615 movies. Or do you look back and go, wow, I hope I left a wake behind me that's filled with a betterment of the humanity that i touched i mean what 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 else is life for except that you know and, and so
0: and th- that's and that's beauty that's beautiful
2: right and that's what i feel like it's it's so similar with medicine in this even though you would think probably like you said you thought the first time <laughs> that i mean to mentioned it medical podcasted makeup but you think about it we have all these different areas of medicine where we do things for their health like for example breast cancer But then we do the things that help them feel good again, like reconstruction surgery and things like that. And so I think this plays just as important as a part sometimes for some people. Now, for some people, maybe that makeup doesn't change anything for them, right? Because, again, nobody needs it to be beautiful. But I know for me personally, um, I had been wanting to get this makeup, this specific makeup, for two years, but I could not get myself to spend the money on it as a mom with several little kids. And after that— I was six. Yes. And at the (laughs) time— At the time that this happened, I had just given birth to my well, I had four, but then I gave birth to my fifth, and I, it came up again. And I was like, I really want this makeup. I showed it to my mom, hoping she'd buy it for me. She did not at that moment. <laughs> I, you know, you never mom, got a grown Mom, in mom. She she did, however, later surprise me with it, and she did order it for me. Um, Good job. Had me mom. come over to her house, and I was really struggling. My fifth baby was a very difficult baby, and I say that with the medical background that I have, mm-hmm. taking care of lots of babies yeah. and new moms. Um, she screamed bloody murder the way that they scream when they're born, but that didn't stop for three months. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm um, no exaggeration, she really slept. And I was mm-hmm. like, how can she function? Um, I was like, maybe she broke her collarbone, her clavicle during delivery. I kept trying to figure out, and nothing was wrong. And the pediatri- pediatrician just said she's just mad. And one day, could be tomorrow, and it could be in a few months, she'll just hopefully just it'll be over. And I was like, oh no. But that being a new mom, hormones everywhere, maybe you're you post- in a totally the different body. Really different after a fifth one, y'all. I really started struggling because I heard screaming all the time and I never had sleep. So it wasn't the textbook postpartum depression, but I had, I didn't know really much about postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's really how it started for me. And it didn't kind of develop into depression. Um, I got to where I couldn't even look at the mirror when I walked by to use the restroom. I definitely didn't put makeup on because I didn't want to look at myself long enough to do it. And it's it's sad how many women tell me the same thing um, when I get to know their stories. But my mom got me the makeup. We were going to a wedding that night and I thought, do I dare put on this crazy stuff? its I've never done things like contour and it were like, am I going to do this right before the wedding that we're about to go to? That my husband, he's a a pastor. He was officiating that night and I put it on. And my mom, she later told me, she stood there and she said, I literally saw this light wash over you and this joy come back that I didn't even realize how far gone it had been. And she said, I saw a shift in you. And I know the makeup wasn't magic. That's not what did it, but that was the vehicle that gave
1: Mm -hmm. you some
2: of your spark back. And she said, it made me so happy and so sad at the same time, you know, that you had been through that. And it really did. It changed my self-esteem in a different way. It was, I dreaded putting on makeup. It wasn't a fun thing. I didn't want to look at myself and it made it fun again. And I think even as adults, we have to keep things fun, no matter what we're talking about. Right. And I just, because I became more confident, I had more joy in my life. It affected every area of my life. And mental health is so important. It's not just about you. It's about everybody around you. Because if you don't feel good or if you're in a dark place, it affects the way that you can take care of and love the people around you. Mm -hmm. And I became aware of how much I was struggling to fully love my husband and my kids and my friends and my family because I wasn't loving myself. Mm -hmm. And so that was just a way for me to kind of open back up. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know so many women in the same spot. And I want to shout it from the mountaintop, whether it's that, they're having postpartum depression or they're aging and things just aren't the same, or they now have severe melasma or rosacea. There are little tricks we can do to help them feel like, like I, I wanted people to see me coming. Not, oh, the girl who just had all the babies and look at her body. And I know people with rosacea, they don't want you to see the rosacea coming and they feel like that's all you can see. They want you to see them, the person. Right. And so that's what I help is help people get that confidence back and feel like they're presenting the best version of themselves. And not being so focused on whatever they consider to be a flaw.
0: That was amazing. Um, it re- it really was. That was a very touching story, honestly. But not to mention, I don't. You hadn't even touched on how safe the makeup is. It is. It is a really clean makeup line. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, when I started doing research,
2: I had started getting a little crunchy. That's what I call when you get aware of like ingredients and you know using things that that go into your body, um, in a clean way. I'm a little bit of a hippie, but not completely. But, um, I was looking at the ingredient list and stuff and it's paraben free, alcohol free, and it would be vegan, except there's beeswax. But you, mm-hmm. we need some type of product like that mm-hmm. for it to be a makeup. So um, other than that, it would be a vegan product, but I have a lot of also one of my favorite customers who is now joining my team and works with me um, in the company, she got diagnosed with um, a thyroid condition and she had to be very careful about things that could affect her hormones and things. and she said, "Your makeup seems like it checks all the boxes for me. I want to try, but the problem is with these clean products, they never look as good." Mm-hmm. And she tried it and she was like. I know I'm not impacting my health negatively. I'm not affecting my hormones. I'm putting clean things on my body and I feel beautiful. I have not had all that in one. Right. And she was like, I want to tell everybody I know dealing with, you know, immunoc- immunological disorders. Immunologic, right. Yes, the same thing. And so um, she's now like spreading it amongst her community of people with similar disorders.
0: So a quick question, you brought up the beeswax. So if people have an allergy to bees, Is the product still safe for them typically? Um, So one of those things, it's hard to say. It is. It's one of those things where I would ask, first of all, how severe
2: their allergy is. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've just learned too, as a nurse, like some things you think would be fine are, and some things you think aren't, but I always err on the side of caution. If they're like, it's anaphylaxis then I would be like, well, I mean, you may want to at least try it in the parking lot of the ER. Right, <laughs> right,
0: right. That, or or Mark, Mark may can give you some other tips on some things to have in your bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get some
2: Benadryl on hand. Um, but I do know that a lot of people that have just different allergies, a lot of people say, I'm really sensitive to my skin. I have not actually had anybody, but aren't you? Are you allergic to bees?
0: I am. That's right. I am. And for the record, I've not had any problems with your product. <gasps> yeah,
2: <laughs> But I do have people, it is common that they say, I have really sensitive skin. I can't hardly really use anything. I don't think this will work. And I always tell them, well, the good thing is my specific company has a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, if it doesn't work, you can send it back and get your money back. No harm, no foul. But out of, I've helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women in my two, little over two years as an artist with this company. Um, I've only ever had one that had to send it back. And it was just, she already had extremely red skin and very oily and I have a lot of oily customers who love this makeup and wear it well but I mean this girl was probably the oiliest I've ever seen um the most sensitive skin I've ever seen and we I worked with her because as an artist i work with my customers ongoing to provide ongoing education and coaching once they buy the product as well and it's that's just complimentary for all of my customers we worked really hard to get it to work for her and she's the only one that we couldn't get to work for out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds
1: to so, um to Go back, circle back to your story. I hate to use the word testimonial because it wasn't pre-planned or anything. It's just your story. <laughs> it's it's your story. life, it's, and it's a fascinating and, story. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I was spellbound. I mean, it was, it was captivating. But anyhow, the intersection between dermatology, mental health, makeup, uh, yet again, evidence of Amanda's genius to have you here, and <laughs> I'm not um, sure about but that. I mean, I'm just kind of seeing. Uh, what she was trying to achieve with this and with you and so well achieved. I mean, it's amazing, but what a story. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it really is. I mean, It, it,
2: it was a big impact for me because I mean, I just, you know, to give y'all the backstory on it too, I was actually on medication for depression. I had to, um, I have a lot of coping skills, but they were not sufficient. And so I did what I needed to do and took care of my health, including my mental health. And I, I did take some medication for a while, but um, one of the things that was able to help me, but when I started to love myself, I was able to cope with my anxiety and depression a lot better. It wasn't instant; it took a year or so, but i i I wanna give credit to that shift in my life that the makeup was part of, but it was bigger than that it was an internal shift, right um I was able to come off of my medication. Now, that's not to say that oh, if you're depressed, right. get makeup and you can stop your pills. No, right. But it was a piece of that for me, just because I got to where I felt beautiful without makeup on. That had not happened in a decade for me.
0: Well, but it does touch on some other things that we have talked about before on the show, and that is that you know sometimes people do have to go on medicine, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Right. But that doesn't mean that that's a lifelong sentence. Is that the right word, Mark? How how would you phrase that? Yeah, it
1: just it's is like Jason said. I want Jason here. I want her and Jason to speak (laughs) on air together. I mean what a great intersection that would be. I mean, imagine and it's uh it's it's a it's a wonderful tale. Well, and I'm the, a big the believer intertwining in... intertwining of it all There's times amazing. people
2: do need right. mental health medication lifelong right. and that you have and to cross okay that bridge. Too? Right, absolutely. But there's a lot of us who, it's situational and it's something that if we're not able to safely get through circumstances that we can't control, because sometimes we can remove stressors, but sometimes like I couldn't change my postpartum body. I couldn't remove my screaming baby, right? Mm-hmm. Like
0: right. <laughs> it yeah.
2: just was something I was in and therefore the best way to take care of myself and everybody was to hopefully, I went into it hoping it was short-term, but I knew if it was best for my health, I would have stayed
0: on long-term. Right, absolutely. And that's okay if you have to. But to give some people a barrier for seeking the help that they need, you know, they think to themselves, oh, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be on medicine for the rest of my life. And I think you help bring hope to people that, hey, if you need it, so there are times in life when you need it, that doesn't mean you're always going to be on it. And there, that may help, give you the opportunity to find beauty in other aspects of life and kind of embody your other coping mechanisms and and embrace those and then, you know, allow for you to eventually come off the medicine and live life with your new coping skills and your new habits. Yes.
1: What's amazing is the way with her story, she circles back to the philosophy that I'm all about. Which is, what would I do if this person were in my own family? Yeah. And in your case, the family member is you yeah. and the ones so close to you.
2: And it's hard. I think we do better for the people around us than we do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we're quick to tell somebody we care about, hey, maybe you need to see a counselor or maybe talk to your physician about medication. But it's so much harder for us to do that. I know at least for me mm-hmm. and with a lot of the women I talk to, they're quick to care for others and give them grace. but We don't do it for ourselves a lot.
1: And- Really, that's what I'm trying to achieve here is people like you telling their stories, telling their knowledge, imparting their knowledge on others, giving people things to look at, study about, learn about, read about, listen to, and hopefully come around to that philosophical bent themselves. And no matter what sphere they exist, as a patient, as a provider, as just an interested listener, I don't know. Everybody has an important pathway. You know, everybody. And, and leave that wake that you, that you create through the world as a wake of goodness. You're clearly doing it.
2: well. Thank you. It's a, and it's, a, it's really, it's just like with, when I did medicine, it's an honor and a privilege to sit with somebody in their most vulnerable moments, whether it's they have a diagnosis they're afraid of, or they're waiting on a diagnosis, or they're having to walk through treatment that's hard. It's the same thing when somebody opens up to you and says, I've never really said this out loud, but I have never felt beautiful. It breaks your heart, but it also lets you know that there's an open door for you to help make a shift for that person.
1: It's 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 all true. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I have a quick question. Do you deal with any clients with eczema?
2: I do. I deal with um, clients with it, and I deal with my kids at home have it too, so I get it from every end. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a dermatologist. This is just basic advice and info from your makeup bestie court. Um, The biggest thing that I see can really irritate eczema is either already having like more dry conditions around or things that have fragrance in them. So our makeup has no fragrance. My clients that use the makeup that have eczema have had no issues as far as that, but I just remind them to be mindful if they're using things like makeup brushes. So this is a great tip for anybody. If you use makeup brushes, you just maybe want to be aware of what those um, bristles made from or come from, and then however you choose to clean them, be aware of the soap that you're using because that can either dry out your skin via contact through the brushes or the fragrance can, fragrance can transfer and trigger more irritation as well. Um, and then as far as things like setting spray can also do the same thing. So if you're using any type of setting sprays or primers um, out there that have heavy fragrances, just be mindful of that as well. That may trigger your eczema
0: as well. Well, I always like to ask because when I deal with patients, you know, in my practice, it's it's just reassuring and helpful for me to have real tips that I can give them. I like to be honest with my patients. Mm -hmm. I like to buy into what I'm actually telling them. And so the whole point of this is for the listeners, nurse practitioners, when you're taking care of your patients, find you a Courtney. You know, (laughs) send 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 your your Guys and your your ladies and your young girls find you a Courtney because I know it's not always about makeup, you know, but a lot of them deal with uh, mental health is a huge thing and like we've already been through, you know, just helping somebody accentuate that can be life-changing. Right. And then if you're dealing with a, a patient that's experiencing, you know,
2: complications with their skin, whether it's in dermatology or just general practice, even if you go through we're, we're trained, you know, ask them about their shampoos, their lotions, their whatever products they're using. But something we don't think about a lot that I didn't until I did makeup, I didn't as a registered nurse, was things like setting spray, brush cleaner, the brushes or whatever they're using to put it on. That's one more thing you can ask them about as well when you're going through that history with them.
1: So, Courtney, this is, I I never thought I'd say this, but what a fascinating talk about makeup. I mean, (laughs) who would have thought, you know, (laughs) but uh, it's what, what, what is the company? What's the name of the company?
2: So the company that I am affiliated with now is called Saint Beauty, S-E-I-N-T, and it's just the French spelling of the word saint. Um, But I have been affiliated with them for two and a half years now, Um, and I was just a girl who had no clue how to do makeup and who wanted to learn, and then I've invited people on social media or around me in life to just follow along on that journey, and I've been sharing everyday makeup tips and tricks with women. That's my heart more so than just the makeover side. It's just I want to help everyday women feel confident and comfortable putting on makeup, but let it be simple and quick and minimal. And so I have I have actually some several social media accounts that you can follow along with, and I give a lot, a plethora of advice on different specific issues, whether it's melasma, um, fine lines and wrinkles, redness, acne, and I talk about specific ways to help with those issues as far as your makeup and your skincare.
1: So. Looking back at your nursing work history that we talked about earlier where I outlined it all and it was all predominantly female, child-oriented, you're you're still helping women.
2: Yes, I am. And I feel like it's more than a job. I feel like it's a calling. And I look at it as also a, a ministry because it's more, I say this a lot, but I truly mean it. It's more than makeup.
1: And you know, what's, uh, what's incredible to me, you know, Amanda, because you've suffered through oh, so many Mark stories, patient stories <laughs> and lectures of pathophysiology and why I did or didn't do something that I maybe other providers thought I should or should not have. And it worked out and rah, rah, go Mark, you know, but you know how much I love the pathophysiology and the diagnosis and the figuring out what the problem is or the process or the disease and the pathophysiology and how to treat it and beating the disease and helping the person and I love that I love it. It's, I'm very very lucky to do what I do. Okay. I, I absolutely love it. But you know, I have become very interested in the the human stories behind the doctors, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, the um EKG techs, whomever the the providers, okay? that That are caring for the patient, I mean, look at everything behind you i mean it's it's fascinating enough to have six daughters i mean <laughs> yes. a, and then the the stories of the depression and the 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 winding um work history and all the wealth of experience that you have as a nurse doing these variety of roles and everything- i mean who would ever think when you were their nurse navigator or, or their gynac nurse or whatever you're doing at the time that you walk up to Miss Jones's bedside and you're doing whatever it is you're doing to help her and her in her illness and that whole story's behind the nurse walking up to help her i mean and and the converse of that in the bed, the patient has also a story totally different than yours, just as voluminous. Just as varied, just as interactive with the human species. I mean, Everybody's it's just, got a story. Yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it, it is. really is. It's incredible. That's, I think that's another fascinating thing about doing this. Not just what I'm learning, but what I'm learning about you or whomever is sitting in that chair. It's, it's, I, I don't deserve the things I've been given, but I'm very thankful for them. Yeah,
0: same. Well, my goodness, how lucky we've been to have you here today, Courtney, because I think we have learned so much by having you here. And it's brought a lot of just touching moments for us where we feel like we have... Learned a lot more than we could ever teach somebody or ever share with other people. But please tell the listeners how they can actually find you. Would you like to share your actual social media accounts and tell them how they can find you?
2: Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I am on there as Courtney Sheffield, but I also have a group called Beauty Seeker. And that's where I do all of my education about it's uh Lots of tips and tricks about makeup, as well as just uplifting educational and informational and inspirational stuff. It's a fun little group. And then I also am on Instagram, and my handle is at the Courtney Sheffield.
1: Thank you so much for being here today. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you.
2: We had a great time. We laughed. We
0: teared we did. up. We we, did. we kind of went through everything, didn't we? We did. We yes. sure did. Good. Thank you. Well, Mark, Courtney was a fabulous guest, wasn't she?
1: Yes. Excellent.
0: She was. Well, she just radiates joy everywhere she goes. Well, now it's time for my favorite segment of the show. It's our phone a friend segment where I get to ask you questions that are sometimes submitted by our listeners. Sometimes they are submitted to me by family or friends or co-workers. And this, you know, topic of questions that I'm going to ask you is one that I'm often asked by moms since I have. A teenage child. I know lots of other moms that have teenage children, and this seems to be a hot topic amongst teenage mothers or mothers of teenage teenagers. I should have said. So this one is about acne. Two parts, Mark. So who can parents turn to if their teenagers have acne, and what are the basic treatments for acne?
1: Well, that's a great question. First, as always, we've talked about this many times uh, together. You should always turn to your primary care provider, whether that be a physician or a nurse practitioner. You you have to have a quarterback of the team. They can start care. They can coordinate care later on if it gets referred to a specialist. And they they are actually your gateway to specialty care for whatever problem you may have really the importance of the relationship with the primary care provider cannot be overstated. Um, Now, on to your specific question about acne, You typically it's thought of that you start topically first. You'll use salicylates uh, and or benzoyl peroxide, maybe azelaic acid if it's an older patient. There are always topical retinoids, retin-A type drugs. Um, They're using some older drugs like dapsone, which is a, World War II era anti-tubercular drug that they use for leprosy, which is a skin condition. And oddly, it's been found due to its anti-inflammatory components to be effective in some forms of acne. So just an interesting little tidbit there. After that, the therapy is generally ramped up to oral um, oral uh, drugs such as antibiotics, typically minocycline or doxycycline. Now there's a lot of Contraindications to those drugs in some people, so oftentimes they will use macrolides, erythromycins, and azithromycin. And interestingly, uh, the tetracyclines and the and the macrolides are both very anti-inflammatory antibiotics. So it's probably their anti-inflammatory component that helps more than their actual antibiotic effect. So. What you're seeing here as I speak is that there's a huge inflammatory component to acne. It's not just an infectious component uh, to the disease. Um, after that, there's other oral therapies for females. You can use combined um, oral contraceptive agents. There's several of those that are approved for acne. And ultimately, you will move on to oral retinoids. Um, now by that point certainly your primary care provider will have referred you to dermatology the retinoid the retin-a type drugs that are taken orally accutane i'm sorry uh is the the trade name that's so famous is uh those drugs are typically managed by the dermatology office because there's a lot involved with that there are category x drugs as re- as relates to pregnancy there's there's just a lot of stuff that goes into that. They've got to monitor you for headaches and liver problems. And it, it, there's, it's it's not a just here, take this medicine and run away kind of thing. It's something that's a you will definitely build a relationship with the dermatologist as you use that drug. It's very, very effective in, in inflammatory and cystic acne. Um, you know, and there's adjunctive therapies such as light therapies and chemical um, peel type things they use on the face and oftentimes you'll have uh, focal cystic areas that have to be drained or maybe even injected with steroids. There's just, it's again, the skin is the largest organ in the body. There's a lot to this. and you will, with a serious case, you will probably outstretch the capability of your primary care office. But again, that's where you should always start because they are the gateway to specialty care. They are going to be the ones that are quarterbacking the team. And if there's a complication that arises with some of these therapies, the dermatologist is going to need someone to turn to. So that's why it is just vitally important that people establish care with a primary care office Uh, and it's always the springboard from which other therapies can be undertaken by a specialist and uh, that's the basics that's certainly more than uh, I've probably said more than I actually know about treating acne but that's that's the outline
0: well and that my friends Is why Mark is my phone friend (laughs) That whole big long monologue, that's what I get most every time I call you with a question.
1: Drives you crazy, doesn't it? No, it
0: does not. It's actually extremely informative and extremely easy to listen to, if I say so myself. Well, thank you. So, thank you everyone for listening. You can find us at markedmedicine.com. You can go there and click on the Ask Dr. Mark tab and submit your questions, and you may just hear Mark answer them at the end of our next episode. Thank you all for listening.